Good evening, Patriots. And it is Wednesday, June 22nd, in the year 2022 on the West Coast, East Coast. You just hit Thursday. So enjoy Thursday. We'll get there at some point. Tomorrow night, we're going to have Seth Whole House on. Should be a great interview. I think you'll enjoy it. And Friday night, we're going to have Mike Lindell on. So that's another good interview. I think you'll enjoy. Patriots, before we begin, make sure that um, you're getting a good night's sleep, and there's no better products to do that with than MyPillow.com and their amazing array of pillows and sheets. Their Giza cotton sheets are stunning. They're super comfortable, and you're going to get a better night's sleep by having them, along with a MyPillow pillow. They're just everything that they say they are, they are. And if you don't have one, get one. If you have one, get another because they're like, you can't live without them. It's like, should be part of your prepping supplies. You have your go bag. You're like, what's, why is your go bag so big? Because I've got my, my pillow in my go bag. That's why got to have my, my pillow in my go bag. So head on over to mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards, B-A-R-D-S. There's all sorts of awesome savings going on over there. And of course, we're going to continue to support them because everyone else hates them. That's <laughs> not a patriot. My pillow has got to be like one of the most heavily attacked companies that survived and thumbed its nose at everybody. Mike Lindell still leads that fight every single day. So I'm anxious to see them continue to win. So head on over to mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards, and you will not be disappointed. I think we're at a point at some points in this world that we're in that it's a little bit difficult to even comprehend how we got here so fast. I know that there's parts of this that I ask myself, it's like, okay, where were we and where are we? And it's pretty stunning to realize that in a matter of 18 months, since the hand puppet Joe Biden literally took over and stole the presidential office and then didn't have keys to get into the White House, but that's okay, we'll believe he's president. Didn't arrive on Air Force One, but that's okay, we'll believe he's president. Built a studio, someone built a studio so that they could film as if he was in the White House briefing room, but that's okay, we'll still believe he's president. All that said, they have lit off a woke attack, and it's an attack on our faith that's unprecedented. And to be honest, I don't think anybody saw this coming to the magnitude it was. I mean, I, I say this so often on the show that it's one of God's great gifts for us. It's Mark 4.22, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. And that's, to me, playing out right before our very eyes. And that's leading us to obviously have a lot of questions but it's equally showing us the truth of what this system was that had the audacity to use in God we trust on our money. And that's a capital G. I don't think this is going to go easily as we watch a system down, fall down. And I do believe that all of those that stand with God are going to be okay, not that you won't get roughed up a little bit. But the fact is that 
this entire house of cards has to come down. This is the modern day Babylon that has to fall. So I want to reflect a little bit on that story because the idea of Babylon is kind of glossed over in scripture. Matter of fact, it's pretty quick. And it's just like one day they're all talking together and the next day like, oh, their languages were all broken and they were scattered to the winds and they could no longer communicate to each other. Well, whatever the mechanism was that was destroyed, the point is that that sort of fall doesn't happen instantly. And when it does happen, it's left, it leaves an indelible scar that will last generations. And we're pretty much there. And I, and I think if we look around and we're honest with ourselves, we're seeing how each institution, little by little, if people are willing to see the truth, accept the eyes that God gives us, then we're going to have to be very honest as well to accept that these institutions cannot remain. In a, from a political pundit's perspective or a politician's perspective or from people that want to be injected with a regular dose of hopium, those words don't do that because they don't reinforce the party line that says, vote and it will all be okay. But I really don't know how we can expect voting to fix it all when even those amongst the ranks are still going to be subject to the crony-type work that happens in D.C. and the lure of money. At the core of so much of what our nation is, it has become Babylon because the one thing that people worship more than anything is money, the love of money. And that's a tragedy because that's definitely not in God we trust. And I think that's, again, I, I, I find it an abomination that we have the words in God we trust on our money. An entire system is just a Ponzi scheme. And I don't see any way through this other than to see that ripped from people to remind them to where their true trust must be. And that usually gets people anxious when I say that. Because then it's going to be like, okay, well, but I, I don't, I'm on a fixed income. Or what about my savings? It's like, look... In order for us to get through this, we have to be very clear that God will do as he needs and he will take care of us. That did not say God will do as he needs and he will preserve everything you have. There's a big difference. And I think that's an important perspective that we really grasp here because there's a lot of clinging on to the what ifs and building the illusions that are around the what-ifs, and that's a very dangerous place to go. When you're in a war situation, the last thing you want to do is be imagining what the enemy will do to you. Because that's when the enemy begins to, when he gets in your head, that's when the enemy does win. One of the reasons that the idea of like IEDs, improvised explosive devices, were used is because it's a horrific visual of death. When these things go off, they blow off limbs, they blow off arms. Vehicles burn with people inside. 
it leaves an indelible mark that you can't get out of your head, and it weakens. The idea is to weaken the enemy. That's that sort of terroristic hit-and-run tactic. And depending on what side you're on, if you're against it, you hate it, if you're fighting for your life, that's what you resort to is tactics like that because there's no other way to defeat a superior enemy. We are trying to do something even more profound. Not that defeating a superior enemy is profound, but we're trying to do something very profound, and that is we're trying to walk this line in holding to our trust in God and our faith and not resorting to some some of these random acts of intense violence like IEDs to subdue this enemy. And so far, we've been very successful. Though the intensity of this war and this conflict is increasing astronomically. And the squeeze on us is going to increase. And I think this is where a lot of people will struggle because they are falling into a place of how much more is one? How much longer can this go on? How much more can I endure? And then turning to God and saying, okay, God, when is it going to end? And it's easy to say things like, well, God's won this. And I read that a lot, and I, I, I say, okay, we got that. Christ was sacrificed. God's already won this. That may be so, but that doesn't mean we don't have a difficult walk to go through to in, embrace the win at the other side. And a lot of this projection that goes on, like God's already won this, I'm not saying that's not true, so hear me what I'm saying. But when we start to put those ideas in our head, it's, to me, in the same category of saying white hats are in control, military's got this, military's the only way, they were going to save us. Those factors don't resolve the core problem when someone else is fixing it for you. And I don't think in Scripture that ever holds true that God steps in and fixes it for us. I'd welcome that. I'd welcome somebody to point that out to me, but I haven't seen it in Scripture. In fact, tomorrow night, I think, the next couple nights, not I just didn't get to it tonight, but I think tomorrow and the next night we're going to read, depending on how long it takes, we're going to read the book of Esther. And I think it would be a good Thursday, Friday night. And that's just a great story of a reminder that in an entire story, the 17th book of the Bible, And in the entire story, God isn't mentioned once. It's the only book where God is not mentioned. It's implied. Because the whole focus is on the the day in the life. And that trust in God to lead things through as an outcome, as a consequence, and it's rather profound. But if you look at the life of Esther and you look at the life of all those around, it's not an easy life. I mean, she basically goes into the, to be a courtesan while she tries to become the king's wife. So none of this is, there's nothing in there in scripture is going to guarantee an easy walk. Nothing close. But we're going to have to, I think that's an important point to, to really come to grips with Because it's about enduring, not about winning, per se. As, as Our trust in God is absolute predominant, preeminent. 
And that begins, obviously, with our relationship through Jesus. I keep holding to the place, and I do believe this, that our greatest tasks are yet ahead of us. And I'm just looking at this logically. And what I see before us is this collapse that seems to be pretty imminent. And I'm not the only one that believes in this. I mean, it's not like I'm the only one, thank goodness. It, because there's a lot of, there's not enough voices out here, I think, speaking to this. But if we're going to really reset the system, it's not just about the United States. And the world is being constantly painted as if it's one country against another. And I want to point this out because this is where I think the image, the, the visual of God's plan is really interesting to me. The attack with the injection didn't come from, didn't hit one country. It hit many countries across the globe because it was orchestrated by a deeply embedded corporate tied cabal that that exploited this fake pandemic to inject as many people as possible with a deadly toxin that has had massive effects. Now, I would love at the end of the day, when this whole thing comes to the end, I'd love to hear how, I'd love to hear things like, that was all a psyop just to, and like, okay, great. But that's not what we have before us as facts. And this is why I steer away from a lot of that idea that somehow there's, you know, white hats are in control, patriots are in control, because at this point, I don't think, I think this is just a war with a lot of factions fighting each other. So what's interesting about that is on one hand, we shifted from the idea, it started out being China, and then we shifted to the realization that this was a global cabal attacking us with a virus, and with an injection. So focal points went to Fochi and Gates, among others, including the Department of Defense. And so now if we're listening to a lot of the political rhetoric, we're hearing things like, well, China's coming after us and Russia's coming after us. Like, all right, but what is, what's really coming after us? And that's this deep, dark viciousness that's embedded in all these governments using the government fronts to deceive us. And that leaves us with a place where we can't trust our own government and really nobody in the world should be trusting their own government at this point in time. And yet we accept, we go from accepting one idea that there is a global cabal, which was the gates Fochi model, to now suddenly it's like Russia, 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 China, China, China. China's going to take Taiwan, Russia's going to secure Ukraine, and China will probably take Taiwan, so don't be surprised. And I'm, if we really, like I say, you think logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense to jump between this global network of power elites that are trying to kill humanity, led by Bill Gates and Fochi and the WHO, and then to jump to the other side and say, oh, well, the nation state model, China and Russia are trying to kill us because 
you can't have both. They're not going to both. You, you can illusion, you can have the illusion of both, but you're not going to have both in terms of power. And what big rappers around all of that? It's God. Because all of this has to happen in order to shake free the thinking of his children, who too many of which fell deep within the matrix of compliance and obedience and not obedience to him. And I think this is where it's most profound when we look at this because God is ever loving. He's also, he's forgiving, but he's, his desire is to bring as many home as he can. And so there needs to be a great shaking and we're in it. It's, it's hard to see the storm when you're in the middle of the storm. You know, my dad was a typhoon reconnaissance pilot for the Navy in the late 50s and early 60s. This is before we had the full array of satellites, or at least what they were telling us. And so part of the, his regular mission in the Pacific Rim was to fly into the eyes of typhoons. And it's interesting to hear his stories because it's, you you fly, you fly, you fly, you fly, and you just, you're flying, running on, instruments and using stellar navigation as you go until you arrive suddenly at the eye and then you have to circle out and go above the storm. And why I bring this up is because above the storm, when you get of altitude above the storm, it's calm and beautiful. And when you get below the water in the sea, it's calm and beautiful. But that core meat within it is shaking the hell out of you as you go. And then when you enter the eye, it's calm and beautiful. All of this is a matter of perspective. And we're all sitting in a place right now trying to identify what's going to happen, where, where are we going, what's next. And it really is a great lesson in the sense of trust because we're all going to see things a little differently, which is by definition the body of Christ. But we're equally going to be experiencing different things because we're in different locations in this storm. What goes on right now in this heat dome that's happening in southern Georgia is very different than what's happening in my part of the world. In fact, I just had this conversation with our neighbor about how fortunate we are where I'm living right now because there is we're getting rain, we have green, we have most of our drought in this immediate area has been resolved in the last couple of months, which is phenomenal. And yet other parts of the country are suffering heavily, heavy, heavy drought and other things. And these, this changes your perspective on how you see the status of the fight. Which gets very confusing because there's no central command system like there is if you're in a military where they say, you know, squad A, go to alpha squad, go do this hit. Bravo squad, go here. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the weather's like there. It doesn't matter what the conditions are. You just have a mission and you stay straightforward. The irony is that we have all that if we, if we pay attention. Because in all these distractions of the storm and all these distractions of the different things that are happening, depending on what state you live, whether the red flag logs are going to affect you or not, depending on what state you're in, whether you have any hope to vote or not, these human-type issues that we're dealing with 
are ultimately just distractions and irrelevant when it comes to our greater mission, which is here with God in this land, in this time, in this place. And that's that unity with, with him and through Jesus. And it's, it's a beautiful time in that sense because we have such clarity in our world and we have such ability to reach in and build such an amazing and beautiful relationship with Jesus. And all we have to do is invite him in. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I think you know me well enough by now. I definitely don't play two games that most churches do. One, I don't play the I'm a forever sinner game because I don't believe it in that way. I think we constantly sin. God knows that. Christ died for our sins, and therefore we need to repent regularly and get back up on our feet and strive for greatness because God doesn't want us to be under his thumb and being completely guilty all the time, but that's what churches do well. They peddle guilt. And I think that's one of the great... I, one of the great undoings of the church of our time. And I truly believe that we all need to strive for a very intimate and personal relationship with Jesus because I think it's a matter of just simply opening that door and inviting him to the table to have a real conversation. And I think when we do, and over time as we pursue that, I think we begin to hear him as we will eventually and do hear God our Father, and the world begins to completely transform. It's a very pure relationship and a very pure mission in that sense. And as you know me well enough, I put a lot of things in context of mission and tactics and strategies and war. Because I also believe that from the very beginning we've been at war. The only thing now is it's heightened to another level to where evil has become so bold or perhaps so fearful that it's come out of the shadows to fight for its desperate life and it will be crushed. I think when we take these perspectives, we're able to more clearly realize how much power we have, how important why of us being here is, and how much God values us in this world. And God does value us greatly, immensely. Otherwise, why bother? Just call an earthquake, call a flood, call a fire, whatever's needed, torch it and start over. And I also think God has this level of incredible patience, which obviously most of us, if not all of us, don't have, which is to accept these imperfections and to try to bring people back to him. Unfortunately, we're caught in an interesting place because we're trying to, at least it, we're, what we perceive as the, the freight train that's before us, we're trying to sidestep the freight train, juggling a lot of balls in a virtual speaking sense, and trying to keep things in play while 
parts of our life gets torched or run over by the train or whatever. But I think when we begin with the place that we're never going back, that we're where we are right now is a point of moving forward, that in fact, to a certain degree, the exodus has already begun because we are leaving behind everything that was and we're accepting wherever God leads us as new. And when we truly embrace that place within us, I think we open our eyes to a horizon that we may not be able to define or see, but we know that it's there and God's leading us there in the most profound way. And that again reinforces the point that Yes, we do sin, but we don't live in the guilt of sin all the time. Otherwise, why would Christ have even been sacrificed? So much of that guilty, guilty, guilty stuff. And I tell you, that's so much of that comes from this influence of the Catholic Church. Because that's the keep you under the thumb concept. And sadly, the church itself has had a lot of, or holds a lot of responsibility where we are today. Our country was blessed with powerful pulpits in the time, and that's 1650s on forward through the revolution. It was a hard life. It was a real life, and that's another thing, is that the moral code, the foundations of Scripture gave people that anchor to be able to endure hard times. We've moved to a place now where hard times is like stubbing your toe. Hard times isn't like going through a winter as a community where there's not enough food because the food ration, the, the crops didn't grow well. Or suffering through the loss of your husband or your, your wife in the middle of the prairie and having a, a young child where you have to now raise them on your own and there's nobody around for miles. Or perhaps leaving from the gates of St. Louis thinking that it's going to be an easy trot out west and then several months later, as you're on the Oregon Trail, been hacked by Indians a couple times and a few other things, you start to realize very quickly in those, in those days, there's only one thing that's going to get you through. See, the past that we were raised in, the past that we come from, is not the time, is not like what we were raised in. The past that we would come from and our origins were hard, hardened people. Difficult times. You know, my grandfather was a fiddler. And it was nothing for him to get on a horse and ride 80 miles in an evening to go play the fiddle. And I'm to be honest with you, I can't even comprehend this because I've never done it, so I don't have a relationship with it. But 80 miles to go up and play a fiddle for an evening with friends and then get back on the horse and ride back. My, my grandmother was was also rode horses to and from school. She rode the same trail over and over. And she told the stories how many times coming back from school, she was exhausted. So she would just lay into the horse and fall asleep. And the horse would move through the trails and it would lower itself appropriately when it came to branches to keep her safe. Those are sorts of experiences and hardening and realness that we just don't have anymore. Our lives are very insular. And we, with that, we lose a lot of grit, we lose a lot of realness, and we lose, in my opinion, some of the intimacy that is needed to really appreciate God. 
I'm very, I will tell you, I'm, I'm blessed to have been in war in the capacities of where I was at and to have been at the point of the many experiences I've had in war, it's a real blessing because it really opened my eyes to the power of God, to the grace of God. And what was always so interesting, as I've mentioned to you before, is that even with like Taliban, I could have discussions about God. We wouldn't necessarily agree, but we had a mutual respect for a master creator. So it's a very different, and that's a world over there, by the way, it's very different in here because it's, it's gritty. It's tough. You go outside the gate every day. I'd go outside the gate. I just braced myself that I could get blown up or shot or something because I didn't go around in up armored convoys and with all the guns, I went around in a forerunner with my interpreter my window was down half the time and I was driving along with my arm out the window waving at people or whatever I was doing. But we, I, the reason I say all this is a soft society, which we've become, gets easily pulled away. And as it is pulled away, it has no appreciation for the gifts that are given. God gave us an amazing gift. He gave us rights, sovereign rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those no one could take away. But when you don't have an appreciation for what it took to get those, leaving the tyranny of the kings of men, embracing an opportunity to live in a world where it was one king and it was God under which we lived, that's a profound, I always come back to that because that's a profound shift in direction for governance. When you really think about it, we've never, I don't think any time in human history has God been put on the throne above all to be the true king of a nation. That's exactly what happened to us. And it wasn't Judeo-Christian ethics, it was Christianity, Christian ethics to mate this. And it wasn't some nefarious concept of the creator. It was God, though they used the term creator. Our world today is starting to get tough, and that's good. And it's probably going to get tougher. And again, I think that's good because it needs to teach people the grit. But I think we have a greater challenge than we've realized. And, I, and this is me talking when I say that. It's not something like God's put on my heart, uh, anything on my, anytime I speak, I figure God's got stuff on my heart, so you take that and you can pray on that one. But we're entering, in, we're entering into a massive crisis right now. It's the crisis caused by an absolute void in leadership. We do not have leadership in this nation. Someone can tell me like, oh, President Trump said this, or oh, Joe Biden said this, or, oh, such and such said this. It doesn't mean that's leadership. We do not have strong leadership in this nation right now at all. We have a bunch of floundering people out here. We have a lot of quips of people making comments about one another. We've got a lot of political mudslinging going on. We have a lot of attention based on an election that was stolen. We have zero comment of any worth from our military. And the civilian leadership is either selling us out or they're saying nothing. 
It's a rather interesting moment. And that's not unique here. Sri Lanka, its government has now fallen. It has nothing. I have, if the report that I read this morning is accurate, the Israeli government just fell. It fell apart. And they're ending up in the emergency elections. And we're going to see this happen over and over. And, it, and people are going to try to fix it through the system. Right now, our government's broken. We have an insurgency running a nation with obedience unbelievable to, the, to this insurgent government. And we're all participant in watching and helping the nation walk off the cliff into the abyss of hell. Because at some certain point, we just haven't had this, enough people stand up and say, no, we will defy. There's definitely been that defiance going on, but not on a mass scale. And this again gets to the point of suffering because I think at a certain point, governments must fail in order for us to reclaim that true understanding and relationship of how powerful God is. And here's where I go. And I can't say this is going to happen, but boy, it sure looks like we're headed this way. We're entering into a food crisis of an astronomical scale. This is a a level of food crises that's going to affect every aspect of the globe. And governments aren't going to solve it because every time governments try to get their hands in anything, they screw it up because somebody wants a cut, they want a backdoor deal, they want to get something good for their image, whatever it is, they're all just sleaze at the end of the day. Humanity is in a crisis of food and energy, but food's on top of that list. And the only way this is going to get solved is if God's children start acting like his children and come together and work together to solve it, rather than advocating our responsibility to governments and asking them how they're going to fix it, we need to fix this ourselves. This isn't just about us here in the United States or the Chinese or the Italians or the Russians, whatever. And while there's actions going on that obviously there's, we could say the good and the bad of war, even with Russia and Ukraine, plenty of good on Russia's side for what it's doing. But nonetheless, this global crisis that we're entering into, in my opinion, is going to demand that every single one of us buckle down to help one another. And we all need to be approaching this with the cheerful heart of a giver. Giving's really been heavy on my heart. This is where God's really put it heavily on me these days. Giving. The small acts to the large acts of kindness. It doesn't matter. Because I truly believe this is the one element where we destroy the enemy. Not just push the enemy back, but literally destroy the enemy. And it's a profound attack when you do it. Because as one gives and another gives, and it doesn't matter about quantity or what it is. It's the point of the act of a cheerful giver. And we are going to have to confront this on a big level. I think, frankly, Patriots, this is just a test run we're in right now to get us ready. And I think we'll get through it. But we as people, as God's children, are going to have to start thinking bigger, thinking different. We can no longer just read on the TV with with some sort of cheap ad that says, donate a child for 50 cents a day or a dollar a day and you'll give him a meal. That's not going to work, not at the level we're at right now. Because money systems are collapsing. 
And it doesn't help when you have people out here pushing this garbage of Nasera and Jasera. It's like, it's coming, it's coming. We're all going to get free money. Governments are going to be rebalanced. They're all going to have good budgets again. We're all going to have good things. That's pretty much nonsense. Because God doesn't do that. So we have a really profound opportunity. And from the state, state, from the state of our nation and the reputation of our nation, which I consider to be a blessed land, and in terms of the world, this is where I think the true heart of America will shine if we choose to take this path. See, there's no other country in the world that gives like the United States. That I can assure you. I've traveled too much. And there's no group of people that put it in their heart to help others so willingly as Americans do. We're in a bad time right now. Not because we're bad people. It's because we have a bunch of turds running this nation that all need to be flushed. And we've got a bunch of turds in our corporate offices that are all in bed with the nation because they all want power to subdue the people. But that part, I can just say it openly, they've already lost, God's got this, and they're getting crushed, and they're going to get crushed more. And if there's tickets and front row tickets for that lake of fire, I'll be standing right there to watch that scenery to the very end because they all deserve it. But right now, we need to be thinking about our neighborhoods, our, our fellow man, our fellow Americans, because we've got to rebuild that strength, that foundation, because the world is facing a crisis. And that crisis, if we let them run it, it'll be some garbage like, well, we've uh, just like the who literally just did, and the UNICEF, I think it was, just did. Well, we don't, we're not going to have quite enough food, so we're going to cut down the rations of those that are starving. Tell me how that works. So you're starving already, which means you're, you're sub 800 calories a day, and now they're going to cut your rations again because why? And we still plot on here as our farmers are bearing food in the field because the government tells them so. They're not planting crops. And how much waste do we get out of our restaurants every year in the tonnage of food that goes uneaten? And yet, poor Africa, they're going to starve to death again. And as Americans, we tend to do that. It's like, oh, that sucks. That's not where I think we're going to be here pretty quick. I think all that garbage, that convenience of being able to say, yeah, that's too bad, I'll give you a dollar a month, I think that's about ready to evaporate. And we're going to all be in this together, literally. And I really think that this is the type of world we're heading into that gives us a choice, that puts us in the valley of decision. Because basically we're almost there. We don't have to go much farther, we're already there. All we have to do is just look at the tons of homeless that are in this nation that's continuing to build and the crises we're facing with inner city schools and low-income families not having enough food right now. And that's only going to amplify and get worse. So we need to prepare. The preparation is for a war that God would wage, not a war that we're fighting against Satan. There's a big difference. And again, how do we defeat this leftist, crazy, globalist Nazi empire? It's pretty easy. Have a heart of a cheerful giver. Because that's a knife in their gut every time you do it. It's a knife that they hate because they can't keep you separated from being kind. It's a knife 
in their spleen because they can't stand the fact that you care for one another and you're not listening to the dictates of their government that they created. And you're more concerned about helping somebody than you are about snipping off somebody's weenie or turning their gender into something they never were intended to be. All of that noise and confusion they're doing is to divide. And the real part of it of their grooming and stuff like that, that's, that's war. That's literally entrenches warfare that needs to be resolved. But wherever we do, we cannot keep our eye off of the pending challenges ahead and be prepared to help one another to be really those true walk, those that truly walk that path of a disciple. And as we do this, and hopefully we build bridges into churches, and hopefully we build bridges with other community organizations, and we build bridges in with our other neighbors, we have to build back the place of accountability. And this doesn't have to take long in this country. In fact, I don't think it will take that long as people will snap out of this stupid dream they're in and realize that they either start being accountable and making something, a contribution to the world that's positive, or they're just going to starve to death. And being a contribution to the world doesn't mean getting a new job at Apple, Google, Facebook, Twitter on their campus, or Nike, or whatever you're going to work for, so you get free food, and you get exercise gyms for free, and you get to work whenever. That's not making a positive contribution. This is about humanity being called to the rug. And whether by the hand of evil or the hand of of God, we're being called to the rug. But here's what I truly believe. And I think what God knows. And this to me is even confirmed in this moment because of the words I'm about to speak. I've almost got, I already have tears in my eyes. God knows that we'll succeed. God knows that we'll overcome these impossible challenges that most would fall flat and die on. But he knows that we won't fail him. Because he knows that love overcomes all things. And he knows that what's within us and what he put within us is such a profound, profound power that when we finally come to the realization that we are one in the body of Christ, we will make as much effort for that person in the Congo as we will make for the person in Beijing, as we will make for the person in Moscow, as we will make for the person in L.A. inner city. Because we have to, to survive. And when we accomplish that step, and I think we're moving there in a profound rate, and I think that those that are solidly walking with God right now understand that, we're not trying to beat people over the head for what church they go to, or if they've read 15 chapters in the Bible or not. We're trying to bring people to the relationship in Jesus to truly give them the greatest gift they could ever have. And we can do that by the greatest acts of kindness that we can muster. We're going to win this war in the most amazing way. And the sword of the spirit will be wielded with such great force that no steel can withstand its impact. And in the end, we have this opportunity as a nation to reclaim ourselves, to repent for all the sins and damage that we've done, we as the people of this nation, not the government, have a responsibility to the world to lead now in giving hope, 
in extending the hand of grace and making sure that we work together to solve these global problems as one body, as one humanity. That to me is beautiful. And that to me, I believe, is the path that sits before us to choose. Let's pray. Father, we are truly blessed in this time to just have a continued awakening to the greatest gifts that you've given from eyes to see to the true sense of a cheerful giver in our heart. We are faced with unprecedented challenges. We are also faced with unprecedented levels of chaos and noise. We pray this, this evening for discernment to separate that noise from the true path that you want us on. And we, we pray this evening for the heart of a cheerful giver. For us to truly rise up and lead this world again from a country that has been given the opportunity to show the world what it's like to put you on the throne above all things. Let us be those people because they're here. We are here. We are awake to this moment. We are ready to step into that path in this moment. And in spite of all the division and all of the grotesque attacks on our children and our elderly and on the people as a whole, we know that justice is yours. And we know that the fight is through us. So, Father, this fight needs to begin with us helping one another in healing the wounds with the heart of the cheerful giver. Guide us. Protect us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We are literally the lamps on the hill, each and every one of us. And we are the revival of God's church. That's a pretty profound place to be. It's an exciting one. It's laden with lots of responsibility. Don't get wigged out. Because all God needs us to do is just trust in him and acknowledge it. And from there, he'll drive when he needs to. He'll let us take the wheel once in a while until we crash into something and bash the left front headlight. And then, don't worry, there's no insurance quote on that one. God's got it. (laughs) Probably make you repair it yourself. It's all good. We have a profound chance right now to literally transform the world, all of us. You have to have the ferocity of carrying the sword of steel. You have to have that intensity within you to wield such a force, to slay an enemy as if to cut them in two and not to mourn over what you see. But you equally have to wield the right weapon 
for the right war. This is not a war of steel. This is a war of the sword of the spirit. And that centers on the power of agape love and the heart of a cheerful giver. And that is truly a place where no weapon forged against you can succeed. You will dismantle the enemy. You will crush them. And in the end, you will walk away with the joy in your heart of knowing that you did exactly as God guided you and as Christ would smile upon you. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Prayers up for the heart of a cheerful giver. We need a lot of them. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove That we could stand here too All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to the level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now Somehow, oh, you're an island when the world is too loud.
space between us will stay the same Resting on this faith When your soul answers calls far away Thank you. 